everybody. Welcome to the Ladies Who London podcast for this week's episode. Uh, this is Alex here. And this is Fiona. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there going, is she going to say anything? Oh, she is. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk. Gonna talk. <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. It's oh, it's amazing what a bit of sunshine does. Oh, right. Oh. It's summertime. It's so yes. exciting. Well, it's it's weird though. It's you know, it's summertime, mid-afternoon, but first thing in the morning, it's still quite nippy. So I've been Which carrying I, I actually loads quite enjoy. of layers. I actually yeah. quite enjoy that. Yeah, it is nice. And also it's just all the flowers are out and it's looking lovely and and as uh, you predicted, the pollen is is very present. That the 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 plain tree yep. stuff. Oh my goodness! It's like a carpet at the moment. It's unreal. Yes. Uh, I don't know. It's really. It seems quite windy today. I don't know if that's good or bad. Will it blow it all off the trees quicker and kind of well, blow it straight it to your face? Or for today, at least, it'll just be in the air. Yeah. yeah. So I'm at home today. Same. <sighs> Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Not that we don't enjoy our work, obviously, dear listener. No. But occasionally, this time of year, you start to go, hang on, when have I kept a day off this week? What What's going on? Because it does seem to be a bit massive. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly but, days well, off at the moment, but um, yeah. I've been doing a couple of little jobs, um, which I actually really enjoyed. And it's been very last minute and someone kind of calls and goes, can you do tomorrow? And I go, yes, I feel okay. I can do tomorrow. And it's been, I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I hadn't quite realised how much I sort of missed guiding yeah. and, and tootling around London and chatting to people and um, did one of my food tours uh, on Sunday, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just really nice. It's really lovely. And, um, but also uh, tiring. I'm, I, I get very tired yeah. at the moment. So, yeah. Um, but that's I mean, it's good that you can, you can dip in and do a bit mm. and that that's a kind of perfect. Absolutely. Solution Absolutely. So, yeah. Now I did see this week that um, another plaque has gone up to somebody <gasps> oh, that we love. Oh yes, I saw that, did and I thought, where, where? Where's that? Then? I mean, I couldn't. Well, I know. Sophia yeah. Dulip Singh has gone up at Hampton Court Palace. Now I'm not. I can't picture the building it's gone up on. No, because when they showed a picture of it, and I was like, I, I don't can't see where that is. So I don't know if it's in a, in a bit that's open to the public, which I assume it must be because what's the point? Otherwise, of why a would you otherwise? put a plaque? Yeah, yeah. and so I have to go I, for a rummage. Have half a thought that I know where Faraday lived. I'm presuming it's where he lived as well when he was there. Assume, yeah. Guess. Um. So my my sort of guess was it was towards the back, but maybe it's one well, of those ones on know. the little. I'm there. I'm there quite the a bit. Sort of stably bits. I haven't been there yeah. for a while. Well, I haven't got any plans to go, so I might have to have a little day out. Um, to go down there but if anyone if anyone listening has been or has seen it or knows where it is let us know but we are probably going to go and have a rummage see if we can find lovely uh, Sophia Dulip Singh's blue black next on... weekend next weekend next weekend you're there so I'll, Fabulous. I'll update us should have time to go searching yeah amazing yeah. oh amazing. and talking of updates oh, and, I do have a yes. little update yes uh, so two weeks ago it cropped up in conversation that um, there was the London Historians quiz Oh yes! Oh, how did you do? We we did manage to win again. It's uh, it was good, close. There was a couple of points in it, um, but and it's what won it for you? Do you think? Can you give I us a, give the... us a sense of some of the questions? I, I want to know because I, I feel like I'd fail massively. But <laughs> well, there was there was a few photo rounds. So there was one that was statues. And uh, but all the statues had taken they they'd replaced their faces with other. 
uh, I can't think who it was now. Was it Rishi Sunak or I'm not sure, oh, but brilliant. like brilliant. bought the statue without the face. Um, and there were, but it's it's quite. It was quite. It's the sort of stuff that guides love to know, you know. Yeah. So it was the slightly nerdy, weird nerd level, detailly, and and there's quite a few guides who are London historians. Um, I think not so many blue badge, but but quite a few um green badges, kind of city and Westminster and things. So we were scattered amongst the various different teams. Um, Fantastic. So yeah, I think it was a good. The team had quite a good wide uh knowledge base yeah so yeah. Well, what's your what's your kind of what do you bring to the team apart from beauty obviously <laughs> and quick wits she says after a long pause <laughs> pauses are well, definitely your strong point <laughs> i i enticed i enticed my husband to come with us this week this okay. year so that we had space on the team for him so he 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 brings political history and economics and music in a way that I don't uh so so yeah all the, the general history stuff you know all I mean it quizzes there's quite a lot of stuff that lots of people would kind of go oh now is it which king was that oh now and then oh around about that day oh but that like, it's just the stuff that we need to know for our for every day yeah stuff that guides you know instantly know kind of so well um, I have to say I went to our, my local pub quiz on Sunday um we didn't win uh, just because I'm a bit rubbish um, at these things. But there was a question, which was, what was the first, who was the first Stuart monarch? And who was the last Stuart monarch? And I got oh. the right. Because, you know. uh, very good. And, uh, yeah. So for who those was, who are wondering. Yeah. Who was the first? first? Who was the last prime minister who Anne. was born in London? The last prime was minister. Was, that's in the most recent one. The most recent prime minister. London. Well, not Wishy Sunak, like, not Boris Johnson. So it would have been, um, who was before? Oh, wow, actually Liz Truss. I mean, oh, born in London. Wow. Now that's trickier than... Uh, Even as ooh. I say this, I've now realised I've potentially forgotten Blimey. the answer. <laughs> was this one of the ones from the, from it, the this quiz? This was one, yeah. And he did the, the quiz So not Margaret Thatcher, say. not... Um, I don't think Liz Truss, not... Um, what's her face? What is her face? Theresa May. Theresa May. Um, Cameron, no, I wouldn't have thought, oh my goodness, this is tricky. Not Gordon Brown, fairly obviously Scottish. Mm -hmm. Um, who else have we got? Oh, no, John Major. Oh, and also, John oh Major. yeah, no, that's not... so the, the, the Matt Brown from the Londonist was, uh, lovely Matt was doing the, was quiz master. Uh, and he did say that, you know, if it had been last September, he could have just stopped the question after, who was the last prime minister? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> who was it this week? Um, well, there was a joke going around at the time between guides, wasn't there, of uh, you can come every other day to see the change of the guards uh, and every oh, Wednesday to see the change of the prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> so who was who was the last prime minister to think, be born in London? I think it was David Cameron, but do you know what? Just oh, really? We could we could pause here one moment and I could double check. Okay, pause. Yes, yes. It was David Cameron. There I we go. With him next door, David Cameron. Yes, <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, as it passed him, wonder where John Major was. Well, oh, this is a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down on the podcast. Anyway, to. anyway. Yeah. Right. Um. Any any parish notices before we head on into the podcast? I 
don't think so. No, I think... Um, I think, I think there's probably in. some emails I need to respond to still and I haven't got around to it. I've been very lax on the emails lately. So apologies if you're waiting for a response. We'll get, get to you, I promise. Um, yeah. well, can't promise it'll be this year, but it'll, it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, this week we are looking at a, um, a listener request. Now, I struggled to find who it was that requested it. And I know it's one of our regular listeners who messages me often, cannot find for the life of me who it was. Uh, so apologies, do make yourself known. But we are looking this week at the Cato Street Conspiracy. Ooh. It's been on my list for a while. And when this listener um, asked about it, I was like, actually, yeah, let's let's bring it up towards the, the top of the pile. Yeah. Um, so do you know anything? Like, what, what's your where, where's your knowledge on the Cato Street Conspiracy? Well, how much do you know or what, what's the... So I think what I know is I I I don't quite mix it up with the other because there's the there's the uh, siege of Sydney Street and the mm. Battle of Cable Street and Cable. in amongst the street events the Cato Street conspiracy is a phrase that I know and that's about it. Well, it's funny because when I told you that we were going to do that this week, um, you said, oh, is that the one that Churchill was at? And I went, yes. And then realised that actually it's not at all. And that's the Cable Street one, which is maybe a one for a a future podcast. Another, yeah. And then also I I happened to be at the Tower and there was someone who was imprisoned at the Tower. There was. was Oh, oh, you are giving all of my secrets away. Oh, oh, sorry. Spoilers. So Cato Street Conspiracy. Um, this is one that I, I didn't know a huge amount about, but it, I'd read a little bit about it a while ago, which had piqued my interest, which is why I popped it on my list. Um, and it is really interesting. Um, it's So we're going back to 1820 for this. And mm-hmm. it's very much in the same kind of vein as our Guy Fawkes gunpowder plot. Right. Um, but it is sort of faded from memory, which is quite an interesting ah. one. And I'll I'll come to a little bit later why I think it's faded a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we're talking, it's 1820. Let, let's set the scene. Um, we are, so sort of the 1810 to 1820 period was a little bit fractious, okay? Um, the Napoleonic Wars have finished. Um, the... Uh, there's a lot of economic stress happening um, mm-hmm. at the time. There's riots. There's a lot of discontent. The corn laws are in place, which means that basically food prices are rising. Um, right. Cost, cost of living's going up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, people are, people are struggling. We've also seen uh, in the late 1700s, the French revolution, yeah. which has been very successful for, creating republic in france and even though france has kind of quietened down that kind of revolutionary rumbling is still around in england and there's still quite a lot of people who are kind of going well they did mm. it and they did it when they weren't happy with dot 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 and we're not happy with similar things so um maybe there's a bit of so yeah. it's a little bit of a fractious time um what one of the things that's really driving this conspiracy is parliamentary reform, essentially male suffrage. At the time, only four percent of the British population could vote, and it was it was pretty much you know your aristocrats, your landowners, property owners, the people who wield the power are the ones who have the vote, have the representation. So four percent is really really small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like we you know we sort of go oh you know the mother of democracies. And things like that. Mm. You think, hang on, two hundred years ago, mm. only four yeah. percent—that's outrageous. 
It really is. And and you can imagine when essentially the, the, the common man is being put upon quite a lot. The Like I say, the, the cost of food is going up. They don't have any representation. They don't have any recourse to action. The only thing they've got in their back pocket is numbers and essentially rising up. So yeah, you, you can see it's this sort of pot that's starting to boil and, and there, there's stuff happening. And there's quite a lot of radical revolutionary groups around who mm -hmm. are getting together to try and enact change. And this is where um, our conspiracy, the Cato Street conspiracy comes into it. Um, it is going to end very harshly with the execution of five men. And when I say execution, this is for treason. Oh, They are hanged and then their heads are cut off with a surgeon's knife at the end. Oh. So just to kind of set the scene, this is, this is, there are high stakes here. There's a lot <laughs> that is happening. So, um, now in, in order to understand this particular plot, we have to actually reverse a little bit to 1819, to an event that doesn't happen in London, but it happens up in Manchester. And this is the Peterloo Massacre. Uh -huh, um, yeah. Now, Peter, do you know much about Peterloo Massacre? Um, a little, yeah. It's quite a, quite a horrific event that really, again, sort of stokes the fire underneath this already hot, well, almost boiling pot. Um, basically, in, in 1819, so uh, with this backdrop of economic uh, you know frailty and and general unhappiness um 60,000 now for eight, I feel like for 1819 60,000 people is a lot of people yeah. um come to an area in Manchester called St Peter's Fields and it is a peaceful which again is impressive for 60,000 people a peaceful pro democracy and anti poverty protest yeah um there are speakers there now what they've done is they've kind of made this uh, sort of um, what I'm trying to say, a uh, stage out of basically, it's, it's really simple. It's a cart, you know, so you're going to get up onto the cart and speak and there's not going to be microphones or anything. So people shouting out, there's going to be a lot of people who can't hear much, but anyway, you, it's there, it's, they're in numbers, they're, they're showing their numbers. And attending it are a group of infantrymen, the Hussars, mm -hmm. who are going in to sort of, you know, ostensibly keep, you know, make sure it's all okay. There are reports that possibly the infantrymen are drunk as well, which doesn't help the situation. Um, and they decide that they're not, even though the crowd is peaceful, there's nothing happening apart from speeches and general, you know, banners and all this sort of thing. In fact, there's some lovely banners. You know, there's all, you know, anti this, that and the other. But there's also ones that just say love and peace. Oh. It's really quite nice. Yeah. Um, and the infantrymen, they go in to arrest the speakers. And the, what the crowd does is the crowd, they all link their arms to stop them getting through. Um, and the infantrymen, what they start to do is they start to, they take their swords and they start to strike down the banners and the people as well. This creates a bit of panic. The um, the rest of the troops who were sort of slightly outside think that the the crowd is attacking the infantrymen. They come in, yeah. and and I've I've heard different reports, but I think it's eleven people are killed and between four and six hundred are injured. Yeah. Um, then the journalists who go away and report on the event are arrested and jailed as well. So this is suppression right here. Yeah. And people start to kind of be like, this is, you know, it's not okay. So the government freaks out a little bit and they rush through what's known as the six acts. And these six acts essentially are acts that 
are massively limiting free speech and free assembly. So they uh-huh. ban public meetings of over 50 people. Um, right. They ban citizens from performing military drills. They enforce really high stamp duties on, um, we've talked quite a lot on the podcast about how pamphlets are really useful um, yeah. for getting your message out there. So on radical pamphlets, there's a really high stamp duty. So essentially anything they don't agree with, they can whack a massive levy on. And they also give magistrates the, the power to search for arms with very little evidence you can just go we reckon that they've yeah. got a stash somewhere and, and off they go so this really you know as you can imagine is is not and again this sounds a little bit like bit topical a bit topical yeah yeah so um you know mm. let's see um there is a, a famous writer uh percy bish shelley who we all uh-huh. know uh the name of who actually um writes a poem in 1819 about this and he he captures the, the mood of the people and it says rulers who neither see nor feel nor know but leech like to their fainting country cling till they drop blind in blood without a blow and that's that's pretty damning Ooh, yeah of um of the government and of the authorities so what this essentially means is that rather than knowing where your protesters are coming from and um, what they're doing it pushes them underground and you mm-hmm. get tons of clandestine meetings, groups meeting, secret societies, people coming together under a particular banner or a particular aim that are all meeting secretly. And of course, they've been told that they can't do this, that and the other. So there's a lot of, we'll stuff it. We're going to cut the snake off at the head. Yeah. And it is this, the Cato Street conspiracy, that is the headline grabber for this. So we move into 1820, which is the year of this event. Um it's an uneasy start to, to the year. In January, um, King George III had died, which leaves the throne to George IV, who has already been mm-hmm. on the throne kind of as Prince Regent, and he's not been popular, has he? I mean, no. we know, I don't know if you want to say anything about the Prince Regent, but he's not a popular ruler. He's he's very profligate with his money. And in yeah. fact, he has, he, he, he has his coronation, which um, is one of the most extravagant coronations and uh, we talk about the, yeah. the crown jewels a lot that a lot of it was yeah. made in his time but he also has a horrifyingly expensive party to just celebrate kind of him becoming king when him. his dad dies yeah, yeah. just just yeah yeah his dad dies he's oh, a massive that, party and then that the one with the stream down the table it might be yeah There's... i mean i kind of i have mixed feelings about this because it's it's not a good way to spend money but at the same time if you are gonna entertain and go big he he did do it properly let's let's give him that he you know uh made the most of his do you want to explain that a bit so that everyone well, knows so, what, uh, uh, what it was he did I, he had this big party that he had one of those houses where you have rooms where you have doorways between the different rooms so it's not like a corridor it's a it's a long line of doorways you can look all the way down through this sort of suite you can see rooms. this at hampton court kensington palace and things like that yes yeah. actually it's on filard is the yeah. uh delicious I think, name for it. Um, So he put his table up through a nice long table all through that sort of gap between the rooms. So I think it sat about 500 people, something like that. (laughs) And on top of the table installed a little water feature so that the way you passed something to your neighbour down the table was you put it in a boat and it it went down the stream to the people next door, um, which is, you know... Well, it's wonderfully profligate and... Marvellous and ghastly at the same time. Yeah. Um, quick 
very quick aside, they've opened up the new exhibition of the crown jewels at the tower. Oh, yes, I haven't seen it yet. The first thing you see when you go in, there's three empty crown frames straight in front of you. And the one in the middle is George IV's. And it's lovely because you can clearly see the other two. I think it's George I and Victoria. They're relatively small. And then his is like massively bigger. Oh, so really? um, it's it's very nicely done. Oh, fabulous. I'll go have a look at that because that opened... A couple of days ago, didn't it? Last week. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. just the beginning of the weekend. Not a chance. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Anyway, so yeah, he's not yeah. he's not popular. Um, yeah. So you've got the the George III, who was quite significantly more popular than than yeah. George Fourth Prince Regent. Um, he's now on the throne. The radical press has essentially been been to all intents and purposes gagged from all of these different you know orders. Um, there's a lot of radical. Um, and I'm saying the radicals, kind of like it sounds really bad, doesn't it? We say the radicals, but these are the people who are fighting for the progress. A lot yeah. of these people are, are in prison. They've been imprisoned um, for you know thought crimes, probably. Who knows? Um, and so there's there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Now um, there is one particular group of these secret societies, which is the Spencian Society of Philanthropists. Um, they follow. Um, I know, very catchy. They follow uh, the, the 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 a guy called Thomas Spence who died in I think eighteen fourteen, and the society was set up the following year. Um, he was he had called very regularly for common ownership of land, mm-hmm. um, and really quite radical social and political reform. So universal suffrage, yeah, um, possibly just male suffrage. A bit unclear, but you well. When they say universal, they probably mean universal male suffrage anyway. Um, Dividing the nation's land among its people. So, you know, getting rid of all of these landed gentry and these aristocrats who just hand the land to each other and profit off it and make everyone else suffer. Mm -hmm. And the members of this were from all walks of life. There are struggling tradesmen amongst them. There's disillusioned soldiers, all manner of people. And a lot, in fact, there's even one guy who will come to who was a baker. And so he would be very aware of this, the corn laws driving up the food prices and yeah. everyone's suffering all of this. So the corn laws, if, if people aren't aware, um, in 1815, there was a tax that was levied by Parliament on imported grains. And what it wanted to do was to inflate prices and basically keep taxes uh, stable. This is after the the um, revolutionary, uh, the Napoleonic Wars, um, they needed income, basically. They needed to recoup their losses. And it was what it price of staples like bread uh, to a point where a lot of people just, just couldn't afford them. So, yeah. you know, we've got this, this, if you think back to this much, you know, very uh, disputed phrase by Marie, Marie Antoinette of let them eat cake, yeah. as in um, we can't afford the bread. And she's like, well, don't worry, have cake. I mean, that's it's a phrase that apparently she never uttered, but still it's that same sense, isn't it, of... yeah. You know, we can't afford the basics. And we're seeing that at the minute. I mean, there was a, you know, without wanting to get too political, there was uh, a member of the parliament the other week saying, well, if you can't afford cheese sandwiches, have something else. And it's like, well, that's not, that's the point. Yeah, like, cheese is not, not basic, it's a staple. Like, anyway, let's not go there. So a few of the members of this, I want to just, just talk about a few of them. Um, the leader of the group is a guy called Arthur Thistlewood. He is the legitimate son of a um, member of the Lincolnshire Landed Gentry. Um, he has also been in the army and he has actively studied in other, uh, sort of other countries where revolution has happened, like France, like America. Um, and he's kind of the head of the whole thing. He's definitely the guy that gives the go ahead and is the real, you know, going into battle with 
the flag held high type guy. Um, yeah. There's another guy called John Brunt, who was a bootmaker, and he had fought under Welling- Wellington in the army. Now, remember this, because this will mm-hmm. come back. A very interesting guy called William Davidson. Um, his father was the attorney general of Jamaica, and his mother was a local Jamaican woman. Uh, so he mm-hmm. was a mixed race guy, um, an illegitimate as often happened in these kind of situations. Mm -hmm. His father had found him an apprenticeship in Liverpool with a lawyer, which he absolutely hated. So he ran away to sea and was press ganged into the Navy. Um, In the Navy, he had uh, read a lot and a lot of pamphlets crossed his palms and he found pamphlets for this society and for radicals. And this is where, you know, a lot of these people, they, it seems that they're not happy with their lot in life. They go out to try and get a bit of education, read some more, and then they find pamphlets and, and that's, you know, how it yeah. how they all come together. Um, there's another guy who's very interesting, a chap called John Harrison. Now, this is not our clock, clockmaker. Harrison. No. <laughs> this is not him. Um, John Harrison had been a member of the Household Cavalry. He was a member of the Lifeguards and uh-huh. he had fought under Wellington again as well in the Peninsula Wars. Um, he'd come back from the war there was no support he was poor um he joined again a reading society which uh, the one he joined i believe um you paid a little monthly subscription fee and then you had access to essentially kind of like a library really mm-hmm. and he, again he found pamphlets from the spencian society um and that spurred him on to to join and reform and this is the guy who has a career as a baker and he's scratching right. a living together for his family so this you know he's he's frontline really now, there's a few other names that we'll come across, but these four are, are, are some that will we'll come back quite a bit. So in 1816, this Spencer Society had arranged two mass meetings at a place called Sparfields in, in London. The first was went off without a hitch. It was peaceful. They delivered. In fact, they, they it went so well, they were able to deliver a petition to the Prince Regent calling for reform. Mm-hmm. The second one, however, didn't. It ended in a riot. Um, and hilariously... Thistlewood attempted with a a, a group of armed members of the society um, had attempted to seize the Tower of London and spark a revolution. (laughs) That went well. Um, Obviously it was, it was basically they aborted it and it didn't happen. But anyway, he was arrested and charged with high treason, but was acquitted. So he actually, you know, uh, lived to fight another day, very literally. So when all of these laws start coming in, he thinks let's change tactics he's going to strike directly. He's going to go straight for the top and he's going to use the shock of what they're going to do to spark this revolution. He feels that the entire country is on the verge of a revolt and he wants to mm-hmm. push it over into the into that. And there we go. So um, Arthur Thistlewood, as the head, um, had started hoarding weapons with you know as part of the group. And what they aimed to do was to assassinate the entire cabinet Right. Uh, the cabinet used to have regular dinners together. Yeah. And Thistlewood came up with this plot to assassinate the lot of them in one fell swoop, which is quite a big ask. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's collecting the all of the the, the, um, the power, the weaponry to do it. Yeah. They are collecting intel. They are um, following the members. They are kind of casing the, the joints and, and knowing what's what. And he's been looking very carefully for an opportunity. Now, when they sort of deciding, right, the time is 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 now, which is in January of 1820, um, after the king's died and they're, you know, everything's a bit fractious. Um, they, he, he's sort of looking for this opportunity where they're going to get together. And, and the cabinet hadn't been doing that for a little while. So he was without a, an opportunity. Now, one of the members of 
the group was a chap called George Edwards. And one day uh, in February, George Edwards showed him a paper. And in the paper, there was an announcement saying that there was a dinner the following night at um, the minister's house, a guy called Lord Harraby, mm-hmm. who was head of the Privy Council in Grosvenor Square. Now, Grosvenor Square, as we know, one of, if, if not the most expensive Gosh. place in London. Horrifying, yeah. expensive even now. The people dining there were going to be Harraby, the Prime Minister at the time, Lord Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, the entire rest of the British cabinet, including the Duke of Wellington, uh-huh. this hero of Waterloo that some of them had actually fought with, or at yes. least other, not necessarily side by side anyway. And um, Thistlewood saw his chance and he termed it the West End job. And he said, right, we're going to go. And the date of the dinner was the 23rd of February, 1820. It was the following day to when this newspaper article had come out. Um, what he didn't know, however, that George Edwards, who had sent him this or given him this paper, mm-hmm. was a spy. And the whole thing was a setup. Oh. And in fact, there was no dinner happening. No. And on that bombshell, we're going to take a quick break. Now back to the pod. I was going to say that kind of makes I, I was, my question about it was going to be why have they announced this dinner in the newspaper? So that kind of answers the question, maybe. That, yeah. That, yeah. It wasn't. And, and yeah. maybe this was I mean, maybe this was something that happened generally. It was like news, you know, oh, yeah. they're gathering tomorrow to chat and whatever, because he obviously didn't think it was unusual. But it was a slightly random paper that it wasn't a, a mainstream one that it, it had been announced in. The Home Secretary, Lord Sidmouth. So when they had, well, actually earlier than than Peterloo, but particularly after Peterloo, the Home Secretary had got this huge team of spies infiltrating all of these secret societies mm-hmm. and all of these radical worlds. And actually, coming back to Shelley, who we spoke about earlier, he likened Lord Sidmouth to a crocodile. So, um, you know, that smile, <laughs> yeah, I guess that smiling mouth and then the teeth inside. Yeah. And um, so the, he, he basically infiltrated spies absolutely everywhere, but they weren't just spies. They were agent provocateurs. Right. So rather than just sitting in there and listening in and then, you know, feeding back, they were going, they were in the meetings going, we need to do this. We need to what go. Yeah. We should do this. We need to strike. And not only had George Edwards been feeding information back to Sidmouth, Sidmouth had in turn been supplying Edwards with all the weapons and the money the group needed to, to undertake the attack. Uh, okay. So he's armed them. Yeah. Right. And when George says to them, this is what they're planning, but you, you're not doing one, Sidmouth decides, okay, and he puts this thing in the paper. Yeah. George goes with it to Thistlewood. And the plan, as they say, is afoot. So mm-hmm. here we go. So 23rd of February, it's one week after the funeral of George III. Right. Um, which I don't know why that's relevant, but it seems to me just, just kind of feel like quite a turning point, you know? Yeah. In a way. And it, I mean, it, yeah, I would say given recent experience, it does feel, it's unsettling, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. So. so Thistlewood orders them to descend. And he, what the, the plan is that they are going to go in. Um, they, one group are going to, um, bind up all of the servants uh, or if if they resist then kill them and take over the entire building and then a second group led by Thistlewood is going to go up to the dining room there they're going to throw hand grenades in which right. will basically essentially just attack everybody block you know um, and then they're going to carry on the attack with guns and knives 
Right. Once they've all been, now actually before they do that, they're going to go in, they're going to remind all of the members in there of Peterloo, all of the cabinet ministers of Peterloo. And then they're going to, he's going to shout citizens do your duty. And that's when they're all going to get murdered. Okay. <laughs> Once the whole cabinet has been murdered, um, there is one of the people in the group, and it's sort of Thistlewood's right-hand man, really, who was a butcher, a guy called James Ings. Now, his role is to cut off all of their heads. Okay. What they're then going to do is to take the heads. Some are going to be put on Westminster Bridge, the spikes on Westminster Bridge. Yeah. Some are going to be paraded through the poor slum areas of London, which is... Uh, and they're hoping what this is going to do is to whip up support. They're going to try and take other areas of importance, um, King Street Barracks, yeah. the Bishop of London's house, and basically do that tipping, tip tip the country over into revolt. So the whole hope is that they're going to go through with the heads, they're going to take over all these places, other radicals yeah. are going to join in, the poor people are going to join in, riots are going to Crowd follow, fires, exactly, Scotland's going to come in, the North are going to come in and yeah. rise up, and England's going to be a republic. Yeah. Or Britain's going to be a republic. That's the plan. That's, That's his big plan. thing. He had even, Thistlewood had even pre-written statements for when they succeeded. Okay. So he's even kind of got the PR yep. sorted as yeah, well. Yep. But as we know, it's a setup. So what has happened is the Bow Street Runners, who, again, we still need to get them on, on the podcast. We'll mm -hmm. do that. Um, the Bow Street Runners have been... Uh, you can't interview them. They just keep running. But, ah! <laughs> come back, come back. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Bow Street Runners have basically the, it, an, an arrest warrant has been issued for the members of this this group. Yeah. Bow Street Runners are lying in wait. Um, they the group gather in off Cato Street. Sorry, in Cato Street, off um, just kind of near Edgware Road, in a hayloft above a cow shed. Okay. Um, the they were so the Bow Street Runners were lying in in wait, and once the group has got there, or most of the group has got there, they're ambushed. Now William Davidson, who I mentioned earlier, is standing guard at the front. Mm -hmm. He is um, attacked by the um, Bow Street Runners. He manages to shout out and raise the alarm, and the group scatters. The um, Bow Street Runners go upstairs, and it's mayhem, chaos, uh, and in the chaos. Um, Thistlewood actually stabs one of the Bow Street runners and he dies later. Okay. So, you know, this is not helping anything, but pretty much everybody scatters. But they're rounded up in the next couple of days. Edwards knows where a lot of them are. Um, and in fact, well, this, what's really funny is there's one guy who was a member of the group managed to avoid the whole thing by stopping a pub on the way and he missed a lot, <laughs> which is quite brilliant. So, <laughs> Another example of always stop for a drink. Absolutely. Or, always Absolutely. Um, there's about 27 of them that gather there and 13 of them are captured and charged uh, with conspiracy. What's quite interesting is that um, Thistlewood, so Thistlewood's quite clever. He doesn't go home because he's like, well, obviously that's where they'll look. And yeah. the following morning when the papers come out, there are there's a, a description of Thistlewood. Um, and also there's a, there's a ransom. Well, not ransom, what's the word? Um, a reward if Lord, anyone's got any yeah. information and I'm going to read you the description of him because he he doesn't sound hugely impressive as a man in terms of you know when you expect these big I don't know radical people you expect always expect them to be quite sort of I don't know imposing don't you but he's really not so the above named Arthur Thistlewood is about 48 years of age five feet ten inches high has a sallow complexion long visage a wide mouth 
and a good set of teeth, has a scar under his right jaw, is slender made and has the appearance of a military man. He usually wears a blue long coat and blue pantaloons. Ooh, so, you pantaloons. know, pantaloons, yeah. love a pantaloon. So what he's done is he's gone to, now we're not entirely sure if it was a friend's house or a DOS house or something, but he goes somewhere else and the landlady uh, recognises him and she shops him. Yeah. So when the Bow Street Runners arrive, they arrest him and handcuff him while he's sleeping. So oh. he's down, and before he knows what's happened, he's in handcuffs. He's still de- dressed in his day clothes, and they they find in his pockets they're stuffed full of weaponry, like cartridges and all that sort of thing. So he's literally gone home from the thing, gone flipping hell, and and conked out, and that and that was it. Yeah. Um. After the arrest, these thirteen men that have been arrested and charged are interrogated uh, many times, often in the same room as the men they were aiming to kill, which must have been really weird. So yeah. they're sitting across the table from Harrowby, Sidmouth, a variety of the other members of the cabinet, and also the Duke of Wellington. Yeah. Um, and at one point, Thistlewood, now bearing in mind Thistlewood is an ex-army man, says, I would rather kill that damned villain Wellington than any of them. And he's looking straight at him across wow. the table. And what apparently happens is a moment of silence and then everybody just falls about laughing apart from wellington who just sits there completely dispassionately just looking at him the pair of them are just staring at each other down everyone else is killing themselves laughing because it feels like such a ridiculous yes. thing to say yeah to arrest in a room you're charged with high trees and it's you know, anyway eight of the men are sent to the tower of london to await trial including thistlewood mm-hmm. who is placed in the bloody tower no Right. Which is the place where Walter Raleigh lived for a good portion of his life and also where it is claimed, although we don't really know, that the princes in the tower were murdered. Um, but anyway, so that's where he was in prison. So you're quite right, um, yeah. Tower of London. Now, the court case starts not too long later, on the 15th of April, the same year. And a lot of it rests on the evidence given by Edwards, the spy, but also a couple of the conspirators turn crown witness to save themselves. Right. And their testimony is a very, very good base, very strong base of the trial. One guy is a guy called Robert Adams, but the other one is a chap that we spoke about earlier, John Harrison. Ah. Now, bear in mind, this is the baker. Yeah. This is the guy who fought under Wellington, um, who, yeah, was a member of the Spencian Society and and, and all of that. So he's he's a legit guy, but he decides to turn um, Crown Prosecution. And one of the reasons is that they're being charged with treason and we know what what the outcome of treason is is. it's hanging Mm. drawing and quartering and that's not a particularly pleasant outcome he's got a family as well you know so there's all of this going on so he turns crown uh, um crown evidence crown witness the defense argues quite strongly that it wasn't treason because they conspired to kill ministers not royals and william davidson who i mentioned earlier the uh, the british caribbean man He's really interesting because he actually cites the Magna Carta in his defence. The judge says, essentially, do you have any reason why you shouldn't be sentenced to death? And I'm going to read you what he says. It's an ancient custom to resist tyranny. And our history goes on further to say that when another of their majesties, the kings of England, tried to infringe upon those rights, the people armed and told him that if he did not give them the privileges of Englishmen, they would compel him by the point of the sword. Would you not rather govern a country of spirited men than cowards? I can die but once in this world. And the only regret left is that I have a large family of small children. And when I think of that, it unmans me. So oh. he he does actually, in another bit of his testimony, say, you know, the, the Magna Carta says that I shouldn't. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. be executed. So it, a, unbelievable. Yeah. Didn't, didn't matter though. 10 of them are sentenced to death, but five of them have it commuted instead to transportation to Australia. Mm-hmm. So the five that are sentenced to death, Arthur Thistlewood, William Davidson, James Ings, the butcher guy, mm-hmm. and then two other guys called Richard Tidd and John Brunt. These are the five who are executed or, or, or sentenced to death. Um, the judge actually at one point gave Thistlewood the chance to repent and he, he didn't. He pretty much doubled down. <laughs> he was just... <laughs> Just, you know, like, no, no, I stand by. And in fact, he says, if you know, if I'm executed, if you do execute me for this, I'm going to consider myself murdered. Yeah. Just, yeah, you yeah. Know. Do you think Do you think he thinks that it might, actually, if they go ahead with the executions, it might also create a, a backlash and that might be the thing that tips? Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, but martyrdom, absolutely. Yeah. And again, you know, when we talked to um, uh, the lady from the Museum of London about the executions, she did say, you know, just because you've been sentenced to death doesn't mean it's going to be carried out. In fact, in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, it wasn't. So yeah. you're not necessarily going to, to head that way. I mean, it, it's probably quite likely with this one, given that they're dealing with well, what they're terming treason. But, you know, it's not necessarily a given. There are there are potentially ways out of it. Um, but, yeah, definitely there's an element of, I mean, and you look back at Guy Fawkes, I mean, Guy Fawkes has stayed in the memory and was famous even now. Guy Fawkes was back in the 1600s. We're talking nearly 200 years later. Well, not quite that long, 150 maybe. Um, and um, actually, when was the gunpowder plot? 1605. 1605, yeah. Four, yeah so 200 years later. What? Oh, the, uh, between this, yes, I'm with you. Yeah, between, yeah, not, not that 400 years, <laughs> surely 400. No, I mean, yeah. I'm terrible at maths, but still. Mm. Um, so approximately, yeah, about 200 years later, Guy Fawkes is still... In yeah. the public consciousness, he's very, he's not, he's not somebody who his information died away and then we've revived it in the modern day. He was known and was almost like, um, I don't know, a, a kind of societal hero, really. Yeah. We, we kind of revere him more than we, I don't know, anyway. So the, the, the authorities are very aware of this too. And the five of them are completely unrepentant and they even when they're heading to their execution that the chaplain comes in to do all the ministrations and stuff and they all refuse him they all say no and in fact James Ings has got a bit of a sense of humor about the whole thing he says I want my body taken to the king and for him to have turtle soup made of my body (laughs) so uh, you know there's there's a, a bit of this going on so their sentence was in theory hanging drawing and quartering but yeah the court was very aware again like I said the whole Guy Fawkes thing the notoriety that he's got and they're also aware that this is a very hot political topic yeah it's not that they've gone out and murdered somebody it's not that they've done I don't know whatever it might be they have they're fighting for the rights of the ordinary people so if they give them this full hanging drawing and quartering there's a potential for quite a lot of backlash riots you know huge amount of stuff happening so they decide that what they're going to do is just do the hanging and then once they're dead as i mentioned at the top have their heads surgically removed by by a surgeon so they're still going to get the beheading but it won't be till after they're dead yeah so you know so they can still kind of make the I guess, almost symbolic gesture of the traitor thing, but yeah. without it being a full-on kind of show, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And there is that thing of, of um, isn't one reason why people were beheaded is to stop them 
like it disrupts their afterlife or you yeah know, stop getting to heaven if you haven't got a full body and all that sort of stuff so, yeah, yeah exactly so it is an added punishment like nowadays yeah. you'd be like but once you're dead what does it really matter but actually yeah. there was a level where it was a more serious punishment kind of and and usually of course the heads would be put on london bridge now i don't know whether they're still doing that by the 1820s or not i suspect they might not be um but it anyway with these guys it doesn't happen so right you okay. know, the heads are, i think it's with probably the, the sort of the very tail end of it but yeah. it might just about be still yeah but possibly anyway so for the execution at newgate prison about a hundred thousand people we uh, uh, estimated come to watch it so it, it you know it is a big deal um yeah. There's a diarist, there's always a diarist, a guy called John Cam Hobhouse, and he said that they died like heroes. And he also yeah. mentions, really hilariously, that um, Ings uh, was singing really loudly the anthem of the radicals, which was Death or Liberty. And apparently Thistlewood turned over to him and, and told him to put a sock in it. <laughs> and he, he said, be quiet, Ings, we can die without all this noise. Right. <laughs> so even he's like, oh, don't, just, just, just shush, just shush. Yeah. So they're hanged. Yeah. Uh, all together at Newgate. Um, and again, but, like I mentioned, uh, oh, go on. Uh, publicly, presumably, like outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that the yeah. private executions at Newgate um, don't happen until it is retooled in the 1890s, possibly even 1920s, they start bringing them inside. So, yeah, 18, 1820s, okay. it's still very much public, which actually yeah. feels very recent, but you know. Yeah, whatever. yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, hanged, heads cut, uh, cut off, and then they're put in coffins. Now, the p- families petitioned for their bodies to be returned to them for burial. Yeah. And usually that would happen in any case that wasn't murder, but clearly the authorities are making a, uh, a you know, what do they call them? Making a, um, my brain is not working. Yeah, making a. I blame Chemo uh, brain. Spectacle show, of them. Spectacle, no, uh, scapegoat, not quite the right. Yeah. yeah um, Example. You know what I mean. Example, thank you. And thank you to everyone <laughs> who's listening who was probably shouting. Shouting. That while our brains weren't working. So yeah, make an example of them. And and the families, if they don't even get a response, um, I think they petitioned the king, they could petition the court, they petitioned the jail, and they didn't even get a response. The five men are buried in Newgate Prison. Now we've, I don't know if we've spoken about this before, I feel like we must have done, but there is a, a corridor in Newgate, or was a corridor in Newgate Prison. I think they've left it as a corridor in still there. the Old Bailey. Yeah, it's, it's out the back, it's open air, but it's still there. Um, yeah. And it's the corridor that was known as the Dead Man's Corridor because it was where you went from your cells out to execution site and all of that. And it's where they would bury murderers, um, kind of high, quite high profile people, obviously not your aristocrats, but you know, high profile criminals so that they're they're there and they're, you know, nobody can make martyrs of them. And they're buried, yeah. the five are buried there yeah. in quicklime as well so that yeah. it, quicklime will get rid of everything. So it means they, that there will never be a, a chance that anybody can dig up their remains and use them as, you know, sort of relics or martyrdom type thing. Yeah. So they're not they're not skimping on this. They're taking it very seriously. Um, the the aftermath of this. Oh, actually, I want to just tell you what happened to John Harrison. Uh-huh. So John Harrison, he was one of these ten that was convicted, even though he turned crown crown witness he was one of the 10 that was convicted he was then of the five that was commuted to transportation so he was transported to australia mm-hmm. he served time in the penal colony and was then released and he worked as a police constable and then opened a bakery oh. he had been given permission didn't know you needed permission but apparently you did to send for his family but right. they never came okay. so he lived the rest of his life over there and he died in bathurst new south wales in 1839 mm. so 
interesting that even though he dobbed everybody in, he was still yeah. one of the 10, given that they caught 13 and only 10 got, you know, the, the the full thing, that he was one of those, which seems a bit unfair, but anyway. But yeah. basically it was, it, I think the the it was the transportation instead of execution that was the, the payoff rather than yeah. their go-free. Yeah. Anyway. Um, now, after all of this happened, there was a an MP called Matthew Wood, who was a, a radical MP, and he accused the government of entrapment. And he launched um, an inquiry into Edwards, George Edwards, who's this spy. Yeah. Um, they brought him up on, actually, well, he, Matthew Wood brought a case against him and he was acquitted of all charges. But the, the scrutiny was such and the kind of public reaction was such that um, Edwards ended up moving abroad to escape. He went to South Africa. And okay. lived there for the rest of his life. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, there is an English Heritage blue plaque at the site of 1A Cato Street in Marylebone, mm-hmm. um, which is where the, the cowshed was. They, it took place. And the kind of the aftermath and the effect of this. So remember this, this boiling pot that I mentioned at the top where it, there were lots of different secret societies and people, and we don't know what they were planning, um, but they all had different plans of, of what to do and how to achieve the change that they wanted yeah. and it quelled quite a lot of this it definitely quelled a lot of the more reactionary dangerous loud ones and they all kind of went oh okay maybe mm. maybe but it also made the people who were quietly chugging along and fighting for the rights much more measured and less quick to violence and argument and very much more about uh, finding a path through and finding a way to achieve their goals without okay. it becoming really really real problem so the plot the plot failed but it did help to sort of move the needle towards change yeah and the first bit of change that we see and a lot of people say that it wouldn't have happened without the cato street conspiracy was the great reform act of 1832 Mm -hmm. now this is the first of a variety of reform acts which last i mean well probably about 100 years if we're kind of encompassing women's suffrage as well um the the first one gave middle class men the right to vote. Now it's this is not everybody, and it's not all men. So the working yep. class can't uh, vote. You have to be a property owner. So yep. it makes it the middle classes. But it does mean that. And actually, I don't know what the percentage is, but it goes up significantly from that four percent that yeah. I mentioned at the start. It also uh, the act gets rid of the rotten boroughs, which is where you would have a a. a a member of parliament would have a seat in a village where there'd be maybe one active voter or none yeah. or a handful. And like so the representation would be over places, the top. Yeah. Wasn't it? So they might yeah, not legacy be and all that kind of thing. And yeah. 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 Which, I mean, that, that goes right back to like you were saying about the Peterloo massacre in Manchester, mm. because wasn't Manchester one of the places that didn't have an MP until 1832? Yes. In fact, a Big lot city. of these, a lot of these big cities that were new after the Industrial Revolution or had grown significantly didn't have uh, a representation in Parliament, or if they did, it was one for a, a you know vast number of people or vast area. And this is another thing that this Act brings in. It, it, so it removes the rotten boroughs and it grants seats to large cities um, and creates new constituencies. Now it's not it's not a perfect Act because it does actually then put a lot of power in the cities and take a lot of power away from the people who live in the countryside. And this ends up over the next few reform acts, which we're not going to go into them all because that way madness lies, but um, (laughs) that it starts to kind of even out a little bit, but it is 
the start of things. And it does give rise to another group of people called the Chartists. And they, they start up after the Act basically fails to extend the vote beyond those owning property. And that's a whole topic for another day. Yeah. Um, so, the, But the, it's the Cato Street conspiracy that really starts the wheels in motion of, mm-hmm. okay, something's got to give now and people aren't going to take it lying down. And if we don't do something, we're going to see more and more of this until it really becomes an issue. Yeah. So while the actual plot was a failure, although I would probably say a happy failure because I'm not sure that we wanted a hideous massacre, you know, as part of our history. Not that we really wanted the executions either, but anyway, um, it, it definitely started it that the wheels impact. motion. So there we go. Yeah. So that's the case ah. of Street Conspiracy. There really interesting go. topic, Hal. Very interesting. Yeah, and I hadn't I hadn't connected it up with any of that sort of the political reform stuff. So mm. that's um yeah. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Wow. Hooray. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Well that's it this week. That's our that's our that's our episode. Yeah. So yeah. Anything we need to say before we uh, we sign off and uh, say goodbye to our lovely listeners? You've got some tours coming up, haven't you? Um, probably. I'm just reaching for my calendar even as we speak. Uh, so this is, it's currently Wednesday the 21st, isn't it? The, the, the yeah. 21st? The 21st. 21st. <laughs> 31st, yes. 31st, so yes. If anyone's in, in London tomorrow, Thursday, I'm doing a famous square mile in the morning all about the City of London and then the Blitz. The Second World War. Is it? Did you get any Robert Hook on that? No, test, Robert. Test Fiona Hook. on every, Oh, no, Robert Hook. Oh, boo. No, Robert. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I could, I could cram possibly, some Robert. <laughs> I could possibly squeeze him in some. No, no, Love he was it. Royal College of Physicians, not the Barber Surgeons. No, uh, no, probably not any. Woman yeah. thinks on podcast. Yeah. <laughs> thinks out loud. Great. Thinks out loud. Yes. Uh, and oh, I must be doing a Greenwich sometime soon. That's yes. a fun one. I love fun Greenwich one indeed. In on a Friday morning, uh, but I can't see when I've got it. And well, just to update on on me for guiding. Um, I I'm not feeling too bad on chemo, and I'm going to see how I go, but. I might look at putting some public tours up for a little bit later in the year. Uh, I'm just going to get through a couple of rounds first, see what's what, see if we can kind of establish some sort of routine. And then I might look at doing some public tours, maybe kind of September time. Yeah, maybe August, September, something like that, which might be quite nice. Maybe a, a Resurrect My Harlots tour again, because I haven't done that in a little while, and that's a mm. lot of fun. Some street yeah. art. So, But it'll be gentle, but watch this space. So, um, And the other thing I wanted to also announce, and I've got to put this up on my website um, now that I've announced it, so this is quite good. Um, because I'm not really guiding at the moment, I am going to be offering um, the opportunity to plan your visit to London for you. So I think what I'm going to do is put a couple of little fairly standard um, uh, itineraries up on the website that you can buy for like £15. So if you are coming to London and you want to do, let's say, a royal day or um, a a world, you know, a war day or whatever, I'll have a couple of little itineraries that you can buy. And then if you want me to plan anything, so you're coming to London for five days and you just want me to kind of go, right, this is the way to do this do this first at this time this is the best place the best time because this is the kind of things that we know um, as guides and how to get the most out of your trip to London then there will be an option um, on the website 
it's probably going to be, I mean, I need to figure out, but I think maybe about a hundred pounds um, or it might vary depending on how many days you want me to plan. Um, and, and then I will basically send you a full itinerary with my recommendations and where to buy the tickets or I can buy the tickets for you if, if you would like as well. Um, and yeah, and just to make, kind of make the most. One of the kind of hidden benefits of having a guide. You always think mm. that when you're with a guide, that it's the time when you're with the guide that is yeah. the thing. But actually, but actually, what guides also do is we say, no, go there first thing in the morning because then you avoid standing in the queue for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then do that later and you can do this yeah. first. Or oh, I wouldn't recommend this on a Sunday because dot, dot, dot. And yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, so, um, because often I find thing. that people, it's probably you find the same, that people come to London with a, with a list of their must-dos and you found that they've zipped all over the city, zigzag. And then you'd like, no, if, if you do it this way, this will maximise your time. Yeah. And, you know, avoid the queues and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, that essentially I'm, I'm going to be doing that. And all that sort of stuff, when it goes well, you almost don't notice it afterwards. You just know that you had a lovely time. Yeah. But if you do it badly, then you've kind of like, oh, you know, you spend the whole time going to other places and not having enough seeing the actual things or whatever. So yeah. it's it's a really important part yeah. of guiding. So And so, yeah, I'll have the, the standard ones that you can download, but then the the bespoke one will be very much you know i'll find some information about you about um do you want a full itinerary do you kind of uh, do you like getting up early or you're a late riser do you want um like half day each day or do you want some time off do you like walking um you know all that sort of stuff so i can find out what what floats your boat and tailor the tour to you and then i will basically send it to you with all the information that you need um and then you can go off and have a fabulous time um I would if you want, but equally, you know, the, the whole point I think is just making the most out of your trip because not everyone can afford a private guide. Um, but, you know, we have the knowledge there and, and it's all useful. So that's yeah. what I'm going to be offering. So I'm hoping Fabulous. to try and get that up this week on the website. So keep checking back and I'll, I'll probably announce it on Instagram when I do. Um, yeah, if anyone's coming and you want a bit of help planning and making sure. And if you've been to London a million times and you want all the off the beaten track stuff, fine, great. You know, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, well, that's it for this week, I think, then. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you all for coming and listening. What a treat. <laughs> and hopefully you've all, you're having nice weather as well. Enjoy mm. the weather. In yeah. spring, sp late spring, summer, wherever, wherever you or, are. Or autumn, if or you're in the autumn, southern hemisphere. Or autumn. Or I've As soon as I started talking about the weather, I thought, no, this doesn't make any <laughs> sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. You might even be listening to this in three years' time, catching up, having just discovered us. Hello. <laughs> Might be the middle of December. Who knows? Who knows? Happy Christmas! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's enough waffle for us. Right. Let's go and uh, get on with our day. Yeah. See you next week, gang. Bye.